If you're an athlete, you know the greatest motivator of all is the fear of letting your teammates down. After all, a team is only as good as its weakest link. So you owe it to those wearing the same jersey as you to be your best every time you step on the field. That's why there's no vape in team. When you vape, you can expose your lungs to toxic chemicals that can damage your lungs. If you're a step behind, the team's a step behind. Brought to you by The Real Cost and the FDA. Y'all are about to see an amazing interview with the legendary Reggie fees May, but that's not all for the Kind of Funny Games cast this week. Later on this week, we're going to be doing another episode with the full Patreon post show and all of that. And while you wait for that, if you're on the Epic Game Store, remember to use our Epic Creator Code, Kind of Funny. On to the interview. What's up and welcome back to the Kind of Funny Games cast where each and every week we get together to talk about video games and all the things that we love about them. Of course, I'm Tim Geddes and I'm joined by Game Over Greggy himself, Greg Miller. Hello, Tim. And joining us today is Forbes 30 Under 30, a.k.a. the Game Awards Future Class, a.k.a. the new face of video games blessing at Aoye Jr. Hello, Tim. And joining us as well is the Texas Treat Latino Heat clicking heads and ripping them to shreds, the globe-trotting, headshotting Nitro Rifle from Twitch.tv, Andy Cortez. Tim, I had a salad for lunch. I'm feeling great. I am very, very proud of mm-hmm. you, Andy. Do you have the baby salad watch in it? continues. Oh, yeah, baby carrots and cucumbers. Yeah. I have the whole the nine yards. Baby carrots in a salad? Yeah. It's what he does. Don't worry, Bless. Don't, don't worry about it. We don't have time. Is this a thing? Life. Is that a thing people do? I've never had a, I've never had a salad with baby carrots in it. Oh, Add some now. fun to your salad, Reggie. You putting baby carrots in a salad? Uh, you know, I'm just watching all this and saying, uh, you know, I don't even eat salads anymore. You guys are just so um, <laughs> just so over the top here. <laughs> this is the crunch that it would add to the salad. Yeah, it's a good texture. I love it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, and no. you know, I, I got to get to it before we go on too long with this salad talk. Of course, <laughs> as a born and raised Nintendo fanboy, through the good, the bad, everything in between, it is my complete and utter honor to welcome you and welcome to the show the former Look, president uh- of Nintendo of America. Reggie fils and, more importantly, the author of his new, and thanks to all of you out there, soon-to-be New York Times best-selling book, Disrupting the Game, coming out May 3rd, Reggie fils Well, thank you for that fantastic introduction. You know, the uh, looking forward to this conversation, looking forward to talking about games, talking a little disruption, talking uh, just everything that's going on. So thanks for having me on. My, my first question for you, Reggie, is... How is retirement? And is it more work than work used to be? You know, so uh, a good friend gave me some advice when I retired. And he said, Reggie, you're not the type to just sit around, put your feet up. So go figure out what you love to do and find ways to do it with people that you enjoy spending time with. So board service, giving speeches, sitting down, writing this book. It's all things that I have tremendously enjoyed. Uh, but it's not retirement in a typical sense. So it's um, it's fun. I'm having fun. What What is the book for those that don't know? You know so disrupting the game uh, from the Bronx to the top of Nintendo, you know, in the in the genre, they call it a business memoir. But to me, what it is is a series of stories that are punctuated with lessons, principles, things that the reader or the audiobook listener, should take away from the book and hopefully apply to their own situation, whether they're a student, whether they're a podcaster, whether they're a business person, whatever the case may be, 
but just some lessons that I've learned the way in my, you know, 60 plus years of life, 40 plus years as a business executive. That's the book. And hopefully people will find it uh, a bit inspiring, uh, a, a bit peek under the tent uh, at the world of Nintendo and some of the other brands I've worked in. But more than anything else, I really hope people take something away that they could apply to their everyday life. You know, one of the things that I think is so cool about you is that you are one of the few legends in the video game space. Like your name is synonymous with what video games are to anybody that take it even one step deeper than just I've played a video game once in my life. Because I feel like anyone out there that's played a video game, you you make a choice. You're either a gamer after that point or you're like, this isn't for me, right? And if you decide to go down that path, like you eventually start to, to realize that how deep it all goes. And there's only a handful of names that everybody knows. And Reggie is one of them. And being associated with Nintendo, uh, a company that, you know, is so obviously uh, well-regarded over time as like almost the Disney of, of video games, what was it like to be not only the face of that, but to now be what will always be looked back at in 30, 50, 100 plus years as one of the first legendary figures of this industry? You know, so for me, I was a video game player before I was a video game executive, right? And so for all of the people who love to play video games, I was just like you. I was you know, playing my first games on the early, early systems, but my own first personal system was uh, SNES. And so playing all of those great games, uh, you know, I had almost 80 games for the Super Nintendo Entertainment System, had, you know, some similar number on N64, had a PS2, had an original Xbox. So I came into this industry having played a wide range of games, on a wide range of different systems. And so for me, you know, making that transition to be a Nintendo executive, I, I had credibility, I knew the content. From an outsider's perspective, I had a sense of the industry. I had a, a bunch of different ideas that I thought needed to be implemented to move the business forward. So for me, it, 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 was, uh, it was the right opportunity at the right time with the right amount of background and information that I had just from uh, from loving games and playing games to be thought of as a uh, a singular personality in the video game industry is you know on one hand overwhelming and it's because you know for me you know without the creativity of Shigeru Miyamoto without you know the the business acumen of Satoru Iwata you know, who, who knows? I probably wouldn't have lasted in the video game industry for over 15 years. But, you know, to be part of Nintendo's legacy, to be part of the industry's legacy, certainly is a tremendous honor honor for me. Reggie, you mentioned growing up with, with games and playing a lot of games and being a gamer before you actually worked in the industry. Can I ask, do you have a favorite game? You know, so my favorite game, five years ago, if you would have asked me that question, favorite game, Legend of Zelda's Link to the Past. That, that's a game that enthralled me, that I played uh, for hours and hours and hours, went back and replayed it as Nintendo made it available on uh, other systems. But now uh, my favorite game is Breath of the Wild. And you know, it is a game that I go back to about every six months uh, to pick it back up and to explore a little bit more. That game, I, I can't tell you how many hundreds of hours I've put into. 
have you been playing any games recently? Because you, you know, if you bring up Breath of the Wild, I feel like the conversation, uh, it you know, back when that came out a couple of years ago, was this is a transformative experience that we haven't really seen since things like Ocarina of Time or Link to the Past. Zelda seems to be tied to this a lot. Uh, but Elden Ring nowadays, yes. are are you a FromSoft guy or have you given it a shot? So uh, love FromSoft, love Elden Ring. But I'll tell you, one of the big differences for me now in the activities I do, I play a lot more games uh, pre-launch, games that are in development, uh, games from uh, well-known studios, game from uh, independent studios. I'm playing a lot more pre-release software than I ever did at Nintendo. <laughs> and so that sucks up time for me playing um, uh, Elden Ring or playing other content that's out broadly available today. So it's a really it's a really interesting time for me. Yes, I still dabble with all of the current stuff, but I play a lot more of the uh, of content that's uh, that's still early in development. Was that sort of your first thing post retirement? Uh, you know, you retire. It's like. All right, I'm going to go to all the other game developers and just like let me try it all. <laughs> like now, I'm kind of like free to do this. It it was, um, you know, the the opportunity to play a wider range of content certainly was something I enjoyed and continue to enjoy in in my retirement. But make no mistake, when I was with Nintendo, I played all of the uh, all of the content from all of the existing platforms. Uh, you know, you had to. To, to understand where the market was going and, and what was hot and what could move the player. So you mentioned, you know, with, go for it, Plus. I'll say, well, uh, to go back to the to Link to the Past is the answer, you know, I think that's fun because obviously you played that before you ended up at Nintendo. Was that always the goal for you? Did you want to always work in the games industry? Did you know you wanted to work at Nintendo? Or is it happenstance that like, yeah, I loved Link to the Past. Now I work at, I know you were at, at Pizza Hut before, right? Like, was there always a the thought of you wanted to end up at Nintendo in the games industry? Uh, no, yeah, it, it was, and it's interesting because I talk to a lot of young people today, and and they're fixated. Oh, I want to get into the video game business. I want to do this. I want to do that. You know, for me, it really was a situation where, you know, my capability, all of the things that I had done in in business and in life, came together with a recruiter's call to to uh, to interview for the executive vice president of sales and marketing job at Nintendo. Once the opportunity came, you know, I, I certainly grabbed it and and drove it. But it was not a situation where I was sitting back thinking, you know, this is what I want to do with my life. I I, I was fortunate to work in a range of great industries, you know, beer, pizza, uh, TV and entertainment, touching on music. And it was just, you know, my my capability meeting the opportunity of uh, of Nintendo that brought it to life. Did those skills translate? Like, was there, was there stuff that before getting to Nintendo, you learned from other industries that you're able to bring in um, when you did join Nintendo? A absolutely. Uh, you know, the, the, what translates is, you know, a, a maniacal focus on the player or the consumer. Uh, what translates is how you think about innovation. How do you think about providing things that are new and different? How do you surprise people with products that they never thought could actually be delivered to them in some way, shape, or form? Uh, people management skills, uh, all of these types of skills were translatable to Nintendo. And I would argue they're translatable to just about any industry. And that's, if you don't mind me jumping in here where I want to go, is that uh, yesterday, uh because of the easter holiday when we're recording we got uh delayed copies of the book we had been we booked you a while back but we finally got it we got our copies yesterday and i was very much of the all right cool 
I'll skim it. I'll have some questions. I'll, you know, fill in the gap, blah, blah, blah. I ended up finishing it, uh, and it never felt like homework. And I was so impressed with the book for the, for the top of the chart. And even if you weren't here, I would just say, like, it's a great read everybody should get. And there's so much to go into. But where we're at right now in the conversation of all these places you worked, which I had no idea. I thought it was, you know, you were at Pizza Hut and you came here. I didn't realize it was Pepsi, Procter & Gamble, Derby, Guinness, VH1, the list goes on. But what I found so impressive about it is at the top of the thing, you said it was a business memoir. And for me, I had heard, oh, it's a memoir. I was thinking it's going to be this you know, autobiography, your, your career and how you went through it. For me, the book smacks so much of like something like Creativity, Inc., where it is as you write and tell these stories. And again, I want to sh- honestly thank you for being so honest. Like You talk about your relationship with Mr. Iwata. I mean, it's how you start the book, right, with him being sick. Uh, you talk about your own journey with your family. You talk about your career. You talk about your mentors. But when you go into these sections that you call the so what, you tell the story, then there's the so what, which is like the snapshot of the lesson we just learned or what you took away from it. You're talking about these uh, principles and ideas being able to be applied anywhere, whether you're at Nintendo, Procter or Gamble, or being a journalist or doing whatever, being podcasters, whatever you do for the daily life. Like, that's what I love about the book is the fact that it sure it's a memoir, but it almost reads like self help. It almost reads like you're trying to give me this toolbox to go through and, you know, be able to use your lessons in a way that I thought was just incredible. Well, thank you for that. Um, that, uh, that really touches me. And I say this because, you know, everything I've tried to do in my life, I try and do it with a purpose. I try and do it in a way that's different, hopefully better than what's been done before. And when I thought about writing this book, I went and read a a number of other people's business memoirs. You know, I I read uh, Shoe Dog by Phil Knight. I, I read the Eisner book. I read all of these business memoirs. And each one felt to me to be two books smushed Mm. together. It was the memoir part, right? So here's where I am. Here's what I did. Here's how I grew up. And then it was the business lessons part. And what I wanted to do was to create a book that was, if you will, a whole piece of cloth. Yes, I'm telling stories. I'm telling stories that punctuate a key business lesson or a key principle. And I highlight it and I, I demonstrate it and I hopefully help the the reader understand why I'm sharing this, the so what of the story, so that they could take it and apply it. And, you know, I hope that's a that's a key innovative part of the book. I really do hope, just as you did, Greg, that people take that away and say, wow, this is, you know, this is really meaningful for me to apply moving forward. Hopefully that's the innovation and the disruption that I've brought forward with this book. Well, even the way you talk about the perfect memo, you know what I mean? Like I'm not, I haven't written a memo in a long time, but I write a lot in the way you boil it down. I'm like, what you're trying to do? I'm like, oh, that's actually is helpful for as many pitch documents as we write and things like that. Like if I can get something out of this, anybody can get out. The main question I had though, closing it, the question I have is, did you ever forgive your son for beating <laughs> the Legend of Zelda Link to the Past? Because it, there's a great story in here. Like he's talking about, he has the SNES, he loves Mario World, but then Zelda comes around and changes everything. And I think it's you stay up till three in the morning, but you get to the final boss and you're like, I'm going to destroy this the next day. And your son got on your save file and you heard him <laughs> cheering as you came through the front door. I was like, oh my God. 
So uh, I, I did forgive him, uh, especially when <laughs> I was spoken able to him since. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> especially when I was able to play. I went back and played Link to the Past. You know, when it was uh, digital content available, uh, probably on the Wii. Uh, and so I finally got to finish it, and I finally got to see the end credits, which I never saw because I didn't get to see that in the original. But you know what's a what's the great button to that story is I, I told that story at uh, 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 Entertainment Software Association dinner where Shigeru Miyamoto was being honored with some lifetime award. So I'm in front of a thousand people. I'm telling the story about how. Miyamoto touched people, touched me before I was even a Nintendo executive, and how this story, you know, this game, uh, it was was you know a second job for me as I played it every evening, and this touching story with my son beating the game, and I I never got the chance to uh, to beat it, if you will, for the very first time. I get back to our table, and uh, Miyamoto turns to me and he says, Reggie-san. Is that a true story? And it's like, of course it's true. This is, you know, this was my life back in the '90s. I was playing all your great content. Yes, I finally, uh, I finally forgave my son, but now he has had to live through, you know, hearing me talk about this story in a variety of, of different places, and now committing it to, uh, to paper in the book. Reggie, you've had a career filled with successes, just kind of all across the board. Were there any games that you truly believed in that just didn't quite hit the mass market like you really wanted or hoped for it to? Been a few. Um, uh, Metroid Other M. I don't know if you remember that game. Uh, Metroid game. Remember me? Yeah. Um, you know, I I really thought that that was going to be a defining moment for the Metroid franchise. It was giving much more uh, of a perspective about uh, Samus. I I really thought that was going to be a killer moment in the franchise history, and it wasn't. Um, it 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 didn't deliver. Uh, not the business results. Uh, it really didn't touch the player. Uh, the way we hoped it would. And, you know, I, interestingly, I was in a large group meeting, a strategy meeting uh, with Iwata and, and Miyamoto and, and the game developers. And we talked about why not. Um, and, you know, again, I was always the brash American. I was the one who would say kind of, you know, what I believed was truth uh, to try and, and help the business move forward. And the point I made to the developers was, you know, it took too long to get into the meat and potatoes of this game. You know, the, the first five hours of the game, you kind of plotted along. Um, there wasn't a lot of payoff. There was a lot of dialogue. And uh, I'm sure I pissed people off in the room. But I said, you know, you know, the, the learning here is the player wants to get into this much faster. Yes, there are elements we need to do from a tutorial standpoint, help them understand the game mechanics, but you need to move things further along much quicker. Um, and hopefully that uh, that advice had a little bit of an impact on uh, on the developers in the room. Bridget, on, on, the, the, on the opposite uh, end of that question, actually, I want to ask, is there a game that came out that got a way bigger uh, reception than you than you thought it would while working on it? You know, there are always games that surprise. Um, I have to say, we fit 
for the magnitude of sales uh, and how the the sell through happens so quickly, I have to say that that was a surprise. And again, you, you have to step back and remember, this was essentially a hundred dollar game because it came with the balance board. Um, you know, for the more active player, um, it was a bit of a tough sell. So we really had to expand the audience and, and get people to not only commit to a $100 game, but potentially even to, to buy the hardware. Um, so the, the sell-through and the pace of sell-through on that game was surprising. And it's not to say that I didn't know it was, it was great, it was entertaining, uh, and something that would do well, but the pace and the ongoing sell-through of that game was just phenomenal. It certainly surprised me. It seems like one of those perfect places, perfect time sort of moment that can only happen if all the stars align. I I was working at Best Buy at that time, and good Lord, the amount of questions we got about the Wii Fit, and like, no, we've been out of stock for a week and a half. We'll have a new shipment coming in. Like, it does seem like that is one of those games that just for whatever reason, kind of similarly to Animal Crossing at the start of the pandemic, kind of just having this explosive moment. I feel like that was the same for Wii Fit at that time. I think absolutely. And, and you know, and part of it was while we we committed to produce huge, huge quantities, but because it was packed along with this piece of hardware, you know, it the the supply chain was always the a bit challenged. And and that that piece of software was, you know, immediately selling out probably for the first two years that it was available. Did that impact a lot of what Nintendo did after? Because I know, like, on the Switch, they have Ring Fit, and I've been messing around with Wing Fit, uh, Ring Fit a lot in the last couple of weeks. And, like, using it, like, buying it, it was more expensive than a traditional game. I think it was around $80 when I got it on Amazon. And using it, like, I didn't have much experience with Wii Fit. Uh, I did love the Wii back in the day, but, like, Wii Fit, I was young. I didn't really have use for it. Uh, now, you know, playing Ring, Ring Fit Adventure, I'm, I've been blown away, one, by how fun it is, how well designed it is, and then also, like, how good of a workout that I'm, I'm getting. Uh, like, doing the, the post-workout, like, check your pulse. You know, I put my thumb to the reader, and it actually, like, checks my pulse for me. That is stuff that has blown me away because I didn't even know that was a function on the Switch. And I'm sure, like, you know... Between now having Ring Fit in the modern era and having uh, Wii Fit back then during the Wii, like, is there is there more stuff from that end that like Nintendo has tried to double down on in terms of fitness and video games that spawned from Wii Fit? I, I think what you'll always see is N Nintendo wants to get as many people picking up their hardware, their software as possible. So what you're going to continue to see from the company is certainly just a, a push to get what you know, what you would call a non-traditional gamer to be playing the system. I, I think with uh, the latest uh, you know sports collection coming from the Switch, you know that that uh, you know speaks to Wii Sports. I think that's another play to continue expanding the audience, right? For sure. Shout out to Chime for sponsoring this episode. No one likes waiting on a paycheck, especially when you've got bills due. Good thing there's Chime. Now you can get your paycheck up to two days early with direct deposit. That's up to two more days to save, pay bills, and generally just feel good about your money situation. But Chime is more than just about getting paid early. It's also an award-winning mobile app, checking account, debit card, and optional savings account. So 
What are you waiting for? Hopefully not your paycheck. You can get started with Chime today. Applying for a free account takes less than two minutes. You can get started at chime.com slash KF games. That's chime.com slash KF games. C-H-I-M-E.com slash KF games. Banking services and debit card provided by the Bancorp Bank or Stride Bank NA members FDIC. Early access to direct deposit funds depends on Shout out to Babbel for sponsoring this episode. For most of us, learning a second language in high school or college wasn't exactly a high point in our academic careers. Definitely not me. I took Spanish, didn't do well in it the first time, did okay the second time. You know what? We'll move on. Now, thanks to Babbel, a language learning app that sold more than 10 million subscriptions, there's an addictively fun and easy way to learn a new language. Whether you'll be traveling abroad, connecting in a deeper way with family, or you just have some free time, Babbel teaches bite-sized language lessons that you'll actually use in the real world. Greg Miller has been learning French little by little, and now when he goes back home to, to Canada to see Jen's family, he'll be able to communicate better. Isn't that a lovely situation? Babbel's 15-minute lessons make it the perfect way to learn a new language on the go. Plus, Babbel's speech recognition technology helps you to improve your pronunciation and accent. Right now, you can save up to 60% off your subscription when you go to babbel.com slash kindoffunny. That's B-A-B-B-E-L dot com slash kindoffunny for up to 60% off your subscription. Babbel, language for life. One more time, babbel.com slash kindoffunny. Shout out to ExpressVPN for sponsoring this episode. Using the internet without ExpressVPN is like walking your dog in public without securing them on a leash. Most of the time, you'll probably be fine. But what if one day your dog runs away or gets dog napped? It's better to be careful, especially when it's as simple as using ExpressVPN. We've been using ExpressVPN here at Kind of Funny for years now. Me personally, I've been using it and I know that my internet browsing is secure. It just gives me that peace of mind that I need. Every time you connect to an unencrypted network in cafes, hotels, airports, your online data is not secure, but ExpressVPN creates a secure encrypted tunnel between your device and the internet so they can't, and it's great. I use it on my desktop. I use it on my phone. I use it everywhere that I use the internet. It would take a hacker with a supercomputer over a billion years to get past ExpressVPN's encryption. You can get an extra three months of ExpressVPN at expressvpn.com slash kindoffunny. That's expressvpn.com slash kindoffunny, E-X-P-R-E-S-S-V vpn.com slash kind of funny going back to the the metroid other m conversation i i remember watching that e3 as was a ritual for me and my friends of getting together watching all the conferences and kind of just freaking out marking out to all the announcements being made that e3 from nintendo specifically as a born and raised nintendo fan meant so much to me because it was the same e3 we got metroid other m with the team ninja reveal we got super mario galaxy 2 like it really felt like a not i just got chills even saying it right now like it's <laughs> such a like not just return to form but it felt like such a big moment for nintendo and you know other m uh turned out to be what it was but at that time we didn't know that yet so we just thought it was going to be something super spectacular and on the other side mario galaxy 2 ended up being something truly special not just as a video game but as a first time sequel to a mario game uh since the original nes that we got a sequel in the same style of what we've seen before with those expectations kind of being met what were the decision making factors for galaxy 2 happening uh and uh, as an idea because that, that just seems so foreign and even going forward from that and i kind of want the the insight on what that could relate to like a mario kart seeing mario kart 8 being such a dominant force in the industry for the last decade almost at this point uh in its different iterations on our different news shows we are constantly talking about 
why wouldn't they do a Mario Kart 9? Like the sales are so high, like the audience is there. I, I wonder if there's a connective tissue between those ideas and if you have any insight to that. Well, look, uh, what I can share is this. And, and you know, this, this is a philosophical commentary that I've given in the past during interviews. So I'm not sharing, uh, I'm, not, I'm not breaking any rules, sharing <laughs> no NDAs being out violated. Of school. Yeah. So, um, you know, first, you know, Nintendo's philosophy is that they want to share one great experience per franchise on every system, M meaning they're want, they want to have a great, uh, Mario platformer on a new system. They want to have a great side-scrolling Mario. They want to have a great Zelda experience. They want to have a great Metroid experience. That's their philosophy. They don't always execute against that. And sometimes they over-deliver. Sometimes there might be two platforming Mario games on a particular platform. So that's always the mentality. And you know the success of uh, Super Mario Galaxy absolutely begat Galaxy 2 because the company saw that, wow, you know, this mechanic was really positively received. Uh, the developer on that was uh, was Mr. Koizumi, so you know it gave him kind of that next piece of work to uh, to push forward on. Uh, that's the way Nintendo thinks about game development. So, you know, when you think about a Mario Kart Nine or some future Mario Kart experience. Again, their mentality is we want to do a great novel experience on every platform. Mario Kart 8 really was a Wii U game that was added to for the Switch. So conceptually, they're probably working on a Mario Kart 9. But they won't release a Mario Kart 9 until they figure out what's going to be new, different, compelling, what's going to move the franchise forward, because that's what they want to do on every iteration. So, you know, from a fan's perspective, and now... I'm purely a fan. Everything I've worked on uh, has come onto the marketplace in the three years that I've been retired. So like everyone else, I'm waiting to see what is going to be that next great Mario Kart invention. What's going to be so new and unique, uh, you know, hopefully in that, uh, in that dedicated uh, Metroid experience. That's the way they think about it. That's what I, fans hope for. I really hope that some of the last things and decisions you made uh, and uh, you can blink if this is true or not. Blink twice if it's true. Um, Link's Awakening remake, um, Oracle of Ages, Oracle of Seasons. Like that game was just such a delight. It was so cute. And it came out of nowhere. Like that, I remember that direct being so surprised by the fact that this Game Boy game is getting a re-release in this gorgeous 3D style with this amazing sort of tilt shift and like what a amazing concept and an easy win really um, bringing something that's so beloved like Link's Awakening to this sort of newer form and this newer console. Oracle of Ages, Oracle of Seasons. I hope that that was your last directive like <laughs> before you clocked oh, out yeah. of the day. <laughs> you said do this. Sign one more thing. You, you know, but what's, what's so interesting is, you know, Link's Awakening, uh, you know, when that was announced, there were a lot of, you know, passionate Zelda fans that were kind of shaking their head. It's like, so why redo this? You know, if you're gonna if you're gonna go back and and remake a classic game, why this one from that era? Oh, and and the the look 
is a little different. You know, it, it was one of these that I, I think it wasn't until the players really got their hands on it, really explored it, really saw how it all worked together that, uh, that they recognized that yes, once again, you know, the company had made a great decision in bringing this, uh, in bringing this game back and doing a, a true full remake. You mentioned being uh, in the same place as us in terms of anticipating like, okay, what is the next Mario Kart going to be? Or when are we going to get it, right? And like kind of being in that place of anticipation for, fu- for future stuff. Besides Breath of the Wild 2, is there a project from Nintendo that you are most anticipating? You know, certainly, uh, like every player, I'm, I'm waiting for all, you know all of the new tidbits that could be shared for uh, for that that next next Breath of the Wild. Um, in terms of other great content, you know, there there are things that I I want to see. You know, I, I want to see what is that uh, that update on Metroid Prime. I, I want to see what that is going to look like and how that is uh, is taking shape. Um, you know, I I want to see other older franchises with a new look. I'd love to see something with Kid Icarus um, and in uh, a new direction there. So, yeah, I'll, like I'll take it all. <laughs> oh, how long did it take until Earthbound and and the Mother franchise came up? Um, <laughs> you know, um, yeah. You know, don't hold your breath. Yeah, again, I'm I'm not there. I don't know what's going on. Um, I'll share a little bit, and and this is actually in the audiobook uh, bonus content that I did with Jeff Keeley. We talk a little bit about the Mother series, um, and while Mr. Iwata was alive, he really understood the passion that fans had for the Mother series. And you need to remember that it was under his watch that uh, Earthbound Beginnings uh, was first brought onto the the virtual console platform. Um, and so, you know, the, the company knows that there's a lot of passion for that franchise, but thinking about how to make it current, thinking about how to make it bigger than just the, you know, let me call it the, the relatively small group of fans that desperately want to see Mother, Mother 3 or something next in the Earthbound series. That's what the company, I'm sure has been thinking about and they just haven't figured out yet the solution to that or or at least they haven't been prepared to talk about it is there a game uh in the, in the classic nintendo library that hasn't been around for a long time that you think is primed for coming back boy you know i'd have to to literally sit down and think about all of those great franchises i mean that's one of the things that people really don't understand you know, the, the company has some 40, you know, plus different franchises that every once and again, they go back and dust off and, and bring forward, as well as relatively newer franchises that they're constantly playing around with. Um, so I, I'd have to sit back and really think about what is what is a game that I'm missing um, that I'd love to see done for a current day and, and with a, you know, with a, a current uh, message. You're showing a little Donkey Kong. Um, you know, the, the, the team, very uh, subtle, Barrett, very exactly, subtle, <laughs> subtle, a subtle little message. You know, uh, you know, it's been a while since we've seen a brand new Donkey Kong, um, and a brand new take, but, uh, but who knows, you know, like a fan, I'm just waiting. Uh, jumping in here. Like this is a, a loaded question. I'm just going to say a lot of things. And I just want you to answer however you take it 
however you feel is right. So like Nintendo is a very Japanese first company. And I, I feel like it's been that way for a long time. You being the president of Nintendo America from the uh, kind of media side, we know what it's like to deal with the Japanese companies versus the Western companies and, and all of that. And as we cover this next gen idea and wherever we're at now, the console wars, all of it, there's the, the conversation of what PlayStation's done, what Xbox has done, services versus hardware versus software. Where do you think Nintendo lies now, and and how does it differ from when when you were really actively in it? And does that all matter at all? And do you ever see Nintendo kind of adopting the the kind of methodologies of the others, or are we in a, a place where everyone's doing their own thing? So I'm gonna I'm gonna break your question down and and answer it in two parts. First, you know, N- Nintendo is not a Japanese company. I, Nintendo is a very unique, you know, Nintendo uh, is headquartered in Kyoto, which makes the culture and the personality of the company very different than, uh, you know, say Sony uh, headquartered uh, in Tokyo. I I think you just have to step back and say the company is unique. It thinks about its business through its own lens I, I was fortunate in my time there to partner exceptionally well with Satoru Iwata, with Shigeru Miyamoto, with the entire leadership there. And it was a moment in time where myself, a handful of other people were able to bring other perspectives that helped the company have significant success during that time frame. So it's not just a Japanese-oriented company. It's it's a very unique culture uh, that that pulls its influences from a variety of different places. The so, second part of the oh, go oh, ahead, go for it. No, go for it. So the the second part of the question around. So look, what's the future? Where does it go from here? So I, I'll answer the question not from you know a, a Nintendo or Nintendo executive perspective, but I, I would argue where this industry is going is much more toward a software-first, content-first, franchise-first type of environment. And, and this is where, you know, if if I'm thinking about a breakthrough vision in the games industry, I'm much more in a software service, uh, you know, deliver content over uh, an extended period of time, a variety of different franchises, you know, I like the Game Pass model of what Microsoft has been able to do. And arguably, arguably, if there's a company that could do the quote-unquote Netflix of games type of model, it is Nintendo, right? Given all of the legacy content, plus given their focus as a content creation company with all of those wonderful franchises. That's where I would go. And especially as 5G is more um, is more applied on a global basis, as in-home Wi-Fi gets better and better and better, because that's where the problem is, right? The latency in that last 500 yards into the consumer's home, once that's solved, you know, a, a pure uh, digital internet connectivity type model, I think is where this business can go. And charging a consumer 20 bucks a month to have an all-you-can-eat library of games, I, I think is the model of the future. 
So we don't have much more time with you. I do have a couple more hard-hitting questions that I have for you, and you can pass if you don't want to answer them. If you have a good answer, I'd love it. But I, I got to at least, at least try my best here. So you are a legend of the industry. I opened this talking about that. There are very few out there. There's the Miyamoto's. There's the Kojima's. We put the Reggie's up there, right? I would even put the Bill Trenton's up there personally. But are there people that you feel aren't getting that type of conversation, but deserve it. I think that um, the, the next round of conversations we need to have are around those game developers Here. who have developed content across uh, a variety of different platforms, variety of different genres. I, I think that's where the next, let me call it, superstars of the industry are going to be. And, and those are going to be the names we're going to talk more about versus um, you know, folks like me, the suits, the business guys. I think we need to focus on the creators and giving the creators much more credit than, than they've had to date. And then the second one, this is probably the, the, the one you might want to back off of, but I got to ask it. Is there anything crazy that you can reveal? Is there any canceled game ah. that the world doesn't know about that you just want to tell us about here at the Kind of Funny Games cast? Uh, no, you know, and, and I, I, I say this because again, it comes back to, you know, what's, what's my intention today? What is it that I'm trying to do today? You know, my intention is not to, to share, um, you know, the, the deepest of dark secrets from Nintendo or the air, the dirtiest of laundry. I, I have no desire to be playing that game. What I'm trying to do in my retirement is I want to help as many people achieve their potential, whether that's being a business leader, whether that's being a a great creative talent, whatever the case may be, I'm trying to help that next generation be the very best they can and achieve as much as they can. And so for me, it's much more of a positive message. It's much more focus on sharing these principles and these skills and these capabilities versus uh, you know telling all of those negative stories and, and whether they're from Nintendo, whether they're from P&G or whether they're from anywhere else in my past. All right, now to close out the show, I got two more for you. I lied to you. One, I want Greg to ask a question, and then I'm coming back for the hardest-hitting question I've asked you yet. Greg, go for it. Uh, Reggie, so the book's Disrupting the Game out May 3rd. Uh, As I said, I find the book incredibly inspirational. Uh, I love hearing your stories and what you learn from them. The one thing, though, is you are now sitting in your ivory tower while you give this advice. No skin in the game. My question, you call it Disrupting the Game, and I really think your disruption and what you talk about and how you were a disruptor comes into view in the Nintendo stuff, right? Where like they're interviewing you and you're like, well, I want to have a meeting with a water. And they're like, nobody does that. Uh, <laughs> and then it's, it's the same thing of like when they tell you, you know, um, they don't believe in the people stuff. And like you came in and, and changed that and shook that up. Was there ever a point in any of your jobs, but Nintendo specifically, I guess, where you were afraid you were going to disrupt yourself out of a job? Like, how do you, for people who are reading this book and taking this advice and want to take those chances, right? They want to drive change. How did you get over that? Absolutely. I I constantly thought that I was going to disrupt myself out of the job. I constantly thought that, you know, there's a day where I'm going to be fired. And I, I talk about one of these stories in the book. You know, the, the 2006 E3 presentation. So this is where we're showing off the Wii. 
we're showing off Wii Sports. Uh, we're showing off a finished Legend of Zelda Twilight Princess. And, you know, in the, at the time, Nintendo would do two live events. In the morning, we would do a press event. And it was all about getting, you know, the, the jaded press on board with what it is that we're trying to do. And then in the afternoon, we would be talking to our retailers. And that's, that's when we would be looking to get the retailers excited to place, uh, you know, place bets and place orders and, and to show their support for the company. And in that morning press briefing, we closed the event with Wii Sports. Earlier, we showed a little bit of footage and gameplay for Twilight Princess, but we closed the show with Wii Sports. And it was a huge hit because, you know, the press was blown away by the way you could wave the Wii remote and, and play tennis. Um, right after that event, Mr. Awada came to me and he wanted to change how we would close the show for the retailers, where it was established that we were going to close the show with Legend of Zelda because that was that was the big hit. That's what was going to drive hardware sales from the retailer's perspective. And he wanted to change how we would do that event. And I, I held my ground and I argued that we shouldn't do it. We shouldn't do it so late. Uh, it, it can create all types of risk of things that could go wrong. And for the retailers, they needed to be sold on Zelda. Plus, also in that audience were all of our publishing partners. And we needed EA and Activision and all of our retail publishing partners to see that we could create an audience for their more traditional style of video games. And this was an argument. And you know, it was an argument in private between the two of us, but it was an argument. And in the end, he relented and we we closed the show with Zelda. And in the end, it was it was a massive hit. Well, we get word, you know, the E3 closes on a Friday. We get word on a Monday that Mr. Watt is coming back to the US, wants to speak with me, then he's going to speak with the rest of the leadership team. I was convinced he was coming back to fire me. I was convinced that I had pushed back one too many times, that I had been that disruptive, argumentative pushy American one too many times, and he was coming back to fire me. And uh, I, I walked into a meeting with him uh, and my direct boss at the time, uh, Tatsumi Kimishima, with a PowerPoint deck looking to convince him and, and potentially stave off my firing that we had done the right thing and the way we had uh, executed that E3. Well, lo and behold, that's where I was promoted to president and chief operating officer. He, he came back in order to deliver that promotion. Uh, but I was, I was convinced I was going to be fired. I'd pushed back one too many times. If you like that story, there are so many of them in there. You got to get this book again, Reggie. I want to thank you again for being so open and honest about it. Like your relationship with Mr. Awada is so special and you capture that in the book and it's very beautiful. Thank you for yes. that. And of course that book is, disrupting the game coming out may 3rd you can get it everywhere and everyone out there we got to get it to the new york times bestseller list we got this baby let's go all the way to the top we're doing it but the final question to let you go reggie it's the hard-hitting one i gotta drop it on you if you could cosplay as any video game character who would it be come on that's easy i'd cosplay as link 
Absolutely. That is fantastic. That is fantastic. Absolutely. But may I suggest one other option for you? Because I feel like you got it down. Barrett, please bring it up. We got Brock from Pokemon here because right now you are already rocking the outfit and it is utterly fantastic. Nice. So I just want to give you a major shout out for already killing the game there. I, I, I like that. So the, your your producer was so on it because I typically don't wear this outfit in interviews. You know, I'm, I'm typically a little bit more dressed up, but uh, nice, nice pull out there. <laughs> <laughs> like, I'm never gonna dress down again. <laughs> so, fantastic stuff, loved far and wide. Reggie, thank you so much for all of your time, and thank you for everything that you've done for the video game industry. You are obviously an icon, and we can't wait to see what you continue to do. Again, everyone, please go check out the book. But Reggie, do you have any final words for everyone? No. Uh, thank you for having me. Thanks for uh, for having the uh, the opportunity for the conversation. And do you know? Go pick up the book uh, and. Uh, I really believe, you know, whether you're whether you're a Nintendo fan or not, whether you're a video game player or not, um, it's there's something in there for you. Thank you so much. And until next time, I love you all. Goodbye. Damn.